0: what is up what is going on everybody this week we're breaking out the oreos and a deck of cards and we'll do it on the other side of the song welcome back everyone to another new episode of the three cool as always i'm one of your three co-hosts ethan klein here with me brad miller and mike Duranic, gentlemen how are we doing this evening
1: Well, technical difficulties aside, uh, it's a good night and looking forward to recording with you guys.
2: Yeah, you know, other than the fact that I'm hearing an echo in my ear, and that's my own voice, and I can't understand how any of you who love listening to this podcast can listen to my voice. Um, But setting that aside, I'm excited. I'm glad to be here. This is one of my favorite movies. I'm excited to talk about it.
0: Yes, this week we are talking the nineteen. 98. uh I don't know what genre we throw this in, uh, if, is card playing a genre? Sure, it might as well be poker film Rounders starring Matt Damon and Edward Norton. Very, very young uh, Matt Damon, right around the time of Goodwill Will Hunting. Uh, so let's get into it, guys. Uh, I'll ask you what I always do. What was your first experience with Rounders? Was it in theaters in 1998? Did you catch it a little bit later? What did you bring in? to the rewatch for this week's episode.
1: I think that maybe I'm just getting a bad memory because I I don't know for sure the first time I saw it. Very well could have been in theater. Um, would have been the right age for me to go enjoy that. But I'm going to say it was a blockbuster rental. Um, and I've seen it probably 20 times or more because... It's one of my faves.
2: Yeah, so, Ethan, I'll say what you were thinking. This is in the red-eye territory for Brad. Um, It is for me as well. I did not see it in the theater, but uh, Blockbuster Rental, or it might have been even a Blockbuster purchase uh, on the used rack, but uh, one of my all-time favorites, and I've seen it at least – Twenty to 40 or 50 times so uh, a lot of times
0: hey if you guys love something so much that you want to rewatch it i'm not going to be here to judge you guys for that in fact i embrace <laughs> it please enjoy something that much I-, I love it for you guys um my well, at
1: least at least we picked a better movie than brown eye
0: well you know it's neither here nor there um my viewing experience with this film is slightly different. Um, I didn't see it for the first time until, uh, college, I would say middle of college for me. So, uh, within the last like eight years or so, it was the first time I saw it. I think this is only my third time watching it. Um, had heard about it, knew what it was, just kind of never got around to it. Uh, and then finally saw it and, and, and here we are. Um, Something tells me I'm going to have a little bit different experience uh, than you guys do for a lot of this podcast, but we will get into it uh, the way that we do with the Rotten Tomatoes game and what's becoming somewhat of a sickening trend here. Mike is not uh, defending his title. Uh, He is playing uh, judge just as much as Brad and I are at this point, Brad is the defending champion, so he is going to have to throw his guess out there first for the sitting Rotten Tomato score of rounders. I'll have the opportunity to snipe him one way or the other. So, Brad, why don't you get us rolling? What do you think the Rotten Tomato score is for rounders?
1: Um, I'd like to say, you know, like 21 for a card reference or something, but since it's much better than that, I'm going to go with 91 because I think it's a well-received movie with maybe a couple of flaws that people could pick apart. So I'll go with 91.
0: Well, uh Brad, I think that this is probably the easiest decision I'll ever have to make uh, playing the Rotten Tomatoes game. Uh, I'll do the 90 just to play the game. I'm going to be honest with you. Something tells me that this movie is probably about as close to rotten as we've outside of don't breathe in the last couple of months. Um, obviously I know you guys love this movie. This feels like a cult classic following to me that was not super well received except for by its fans and it's hung around. I'll say 90 for the game, but I have a feeling that you're going to be pretty upset when Mike reads us this score.
2: Well, as our audience knows, Ethan is the real cheater. Um, he just tries to make it look good. He's like, I'll take the 90, but I think it's almost rotten. Uh, yeah, the audience score comes in at an 87. So Ethan would have won by that. The Rotten Tomato score for the critics is a 64.
0: See, I, it's not cheating. I, I know what I'm doing, I just don't get the opportunity. Uh, to do it as often because Mike's usually winning these games. And then I get, you know, the pressure of trying to beat Mike. It's so much different when I'm not going after the champ that we know is actually cheating. Um, But yeah, so 64%. So we'll transition into here. I'll give you guys the opportunity to say why you feel it's wrong, but I always ask you guys is Rotten Tomatoes, right or wrong, still fresh. So 64% for a, Uh, kind of off-genre poker movie that came out in the late 90s, Um, I I would say almost forgotten, I mean, based on what these two guys were doing around this time. So still fresh, but certainly not up there with a lot of the other movies we've done recently. So, gentlemen, is Rotten Tomatoes correct? 64%.
1: No, no, not even close. John John Malkovich alone should get a give it a 75. Uh and then the other performances w- would take it up much higher. This is I understand where you're coming from with the cult classic stuff, but it's it's much better than other movies that have been ranked higher. I don't know what critics have against this movie. I would I would need to see some of those thoughts, but um I enjoy it way too much to ever agree that that is a correct score.
2: So it's pretty obviously incorrect. Um, but I, I have a theory for you here, Brad, that is going to explain why I think Ethan is right about this being a cult classic and why it did not get the recognition it deserved in 98. Um, so when you think about poker and mainstream, and really the onset of poker in mainstream. If I say the name Chris Moneymaker, you immediately go right to that World Series of Poker, right? Uh, When he won it, and it seemed like there's no way this guy's last name could really be Moneymaker, and poker took off like a boom after that guy won the World Series. That year was 2003. This movie, I think, was about five years before its time. I think if this exact same movie is released after moneymaker wins the world series of poker and poker became went from this like backroom game to a game that everybody was talking about this movie and the critics are rating it at least at an 85.
1: I mean, I, I appreciate the theory, but I guess I don't know how rotten tomatoes works. Was this a critic score in 98 or was this a critic score over a conglomeration of the last 30 years? Um, I'd say a
0: majority, I mean, it, it's a mix, but for something that came out in 98, I would say a majority of it is the opinion of the critics at the time of the release.
1: Okay. Then I guess that holds some weight. Um, yeah, I, I think that maybe I look at it differently cause I've always been a big fan of Matt Damon and Ed Norton and John Malkovich. And I mean, it's just a awesome lineup of actors and I, I enjoy the movie after watching this again, I do have some thoughts on Matt Damon that I'd like to share as we get into it, but I know that's, we're not quite there yet. So, um, yeah, I I don't know. Maybe I'm just, um, what what do you call it? A guilty pleasure. Maybe this movie's not as good as I think, but because, you know, much like brown eye or green eye or orange eye or whatever it is that you like to watch that you think is better than it is. Maybe it's similar thing for me. Um, And, and I think it also, it lost some points because he didn't choose to, uh, have sex with Famke Janssen in that scene. Um, it clearly would have been a 75 or 80 with the critics if he, uh, hadn't of you know, chosen to walk away there. Um, one of the most often questioned, why did they leave this out of the movie questions that, uh, that have come up over the years. So we'll get your thoughts on that too, at some point. I think for
0: me, again, not seeing this until I was into my twenties and, you know, well after the movie came out, I think my biggest thing isn't even necessarily about this movie itself. I think it's hard to make a poker movie. Um, I I, I don't know why I think there's, and I enjoy playing poker. I'll, I'll do it on occasion and, I just think that making a movie that is centered around that, it makes it hard for me to buy in to the climax of it. I guess like I love sports movies, but there's just something more gripping to me about the like physical competitive sport being on screen than there is about waiting to see if someone's going to get pocket aces. Uh, I I don't know. It, it, it's just it never really grabbed me in that way. And I think that does go back to, you know, Mike's theory, like it hadn't really grabbed the pop culture yet in that way. Um, and I think also too, I kind of alluded to this, but when you look at the two main guys, I mean, you look at Matt Damon the year before he had Saving Private Ryan and Goodwill Hunting or the two movies before he had Saving Private Ryan and Goodwill Hunting, maybe Saving Private Ryan was also 98, but, That's what people are knowing this guy for. And then all of a sudden it's, he's in this poker movie and then he's in dogma and then he's in the talented Mr. Ripley. Like he, he had this huge nuclear explosion and then he kind of chilled in terms of everybody going out to see his movie until ocean's 11, right? Like nobody saw this. It, It cost $12 million to make. It made 26 million at the box office. Nobody saw this movie. Like those those eighty seven percent of people that rated it positive, I doubt most of them saw it in the theaters. I think a lot of them probably saw it the way you two guys ended up saying. You know, it was a blockbuster rental. It was not a opening night. This movie had legs in the theater, and it and it just tore through the box office. That's not what this movie ever was. That's why I consider it in the cult classic category. When you are definitively a box office failure, yet you have this standing legacy that a movie like this does in terms of is rotten tomatoes, right or wrong. I think this is a perfectly just over fresh movie. Um, I I enjoy Ed Norton and Matt Damon's chemistry. Uh, I, I wanted to see where the story would go. It's not one that's going to land in my Rolodex of, I need to rewatch and that's just kind of where I've been at with it. And I do think the biggest differential at the end of the day is I caught this 20 years after it came out. You guys caught this right when it did come out, right when Matt Damon was on the up and up, right when Edward Norton was coming on the up and up. And it's just stuck for you guys. And it just never did for me.
1: Yeah, I, I think that you might be right. I mean, timing is is everything. Plus, I think that, you know, I, I get the sense that you go into some of these movies not wanting to like it just to kind of be um counter a little bit especially with knowing that you probably knew that both mike and i really liked this movie so i think same same for you like when or for me when you guys pick some of these movies i think i go into it with a uh i need you to prove this to me because i'm not gonna like it and i'm guessing that Maybe especially in this rewatch, but even maybe over time, you've had a little bit of that, that lens with it, um, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, So, and I think just the opposite for me, um, I was the perfect age when this came out. Um, It was the right timing. Um, Matt Damon was coming off of uh, my favorite movie ever. And, And honestly, it's probably been my favorite movie since I saw it in the theater. So like, at that point, for me, he could do no wrong um and yeah, it's just one of those that you know I, I want to hate Edward Norton's character, but he's a great actor and I think he does really well uh, I love the John malkovich part uh in this um and the is it taturo John taturo is that the yep. other guy um I really like his his role in this as well so um i don't I don't blame you for your feelings it's not one that I'm like disgusted by um i realized you know this is probably a a a guilty pleasure but you've got me second guessing my ranking a little bit but for me it's such a it's such a love that it's going to come into my top 10 um for us when we do our rankings
2: well i i want to just hear the rest of the discussion before i determine where it sits with mine but it's solidly top 20 and I could probably be talked top 10. And I do think that for me, I, I set it started it off a little bit lower on my rankings because we've done a lot of good movies. And I wanted to hear Ethan's critique of it. Um, so, yeah, let's delve a little bit deeper.
0: I mean, so if I'm going to critique like where I go from this being 60% up to 80%, like 90%, I I mean, I think it's just nothing about the story just just grabs me like everything that I enjoy about this movie is because I think Matt Damon is great and I've grown up a really big fan of Matt Damon. I think Edward Norton is great and I've grown up a really big fan of Edward Norton. Um, John Malkovich is freaking wild and crazy and he's hilarious to see on screen, you know, like everything about it is just because they got talented people in it for me, like the, the bouncing back and forth, like the law school stuff and the issues that he's having with his girlfriend, like that girl. And I'm sure you guys are going to say that that's the point, right? Like that they don't have chemistry because they're not meant to be together. Well, that really doesn't make me feel any tension for like Matt Damon making good or bad decisions, because I think the actress in this role, I'm not saying she is, but that character just comes across as a cold hearted bitch. So I don't care if Matt Damon's going through some, some inner turmoil because I don't want to see that work out anyway. Like there's, it's just, I think that this movie is three or four super talented people, peaking at the right time, getting put in a movie together, in a movie that's probably not that great, but it's entertaining because they're in it together. I think, Brad, like you said, you know, that he's coming off of your favorite movie of all time, and this stuff, it made me think, like, I knew there had to be something like this for me, and there is. You guys know how much I love Jake Gyllenhaal, and he had a run of End of Watch, one of my favorite movies of all time, Prisoners which we've done on this podcast, and all agree Prisoners is top-tier, fantastic filmmaking. He did Nightcrawler. I thought he got robbed of an Academy Award, so I'm all in on on Jake Gyllenhaal, right? Then he comes out the next summer with Southpaw, a sports movie with talented people in it that's probably not a good movie. I will rewatch that movie anytime that it's on. Why? Because it hit me at the right time when I was totally on fire for anything that Jake Gyllenhaal could and would be doing And I was locked in. So I think that's what it is. Like we have those moments with those people where we're able to elevate something. And this just
2: wasn't my moment for Matt Damon. So I guess one question I would have with you with all of that, it feels to me like this is a fairly well-written movie. The dialogue is witty. It is snappy. They deliver it well. And so I agree with you. I think there are some parts of the plot that lag a little. And I think you could make the argument that some of the law school stuff, that's the point because it was this exciting world of poker. I mean, who hasn't played poker even semi-regularly and dreamed about making a run at the world series of poker. So it's this alluring world of poker, all the excitement, the ups and downs, and then it's law school. Right. Um, And so I think that was the point, but that said, granting you kind of that point, you, you have said, exceptional acting performances by the the three to four male leads right and then i think really well written with some incredibly memorable lines and so i think for me that's why it ranks very high because it delivered really well on those two things and because of that it is at least you know for my opinion an exceedingly rewatchable movie i can't come across this movie and not at least watch a little bit of it because of some of the the scenes, some of the lines. And it is definitely one that when it is streaming on one of the streaming services and I see it pop up, I'm like, absolutely. While this is on, while this has its run on Netflix, I'm a hundred percent going to fall asleep to it and enjoy it.
1: Yeah. I mean, so far, the only thing I've really heard you say, either of you say that um, w- would be a knock against this movie is the, the main plot being poker like simply because it was five years too early should not make this movie rank so low like i guess what else what else is there to really nitpick about this that um really would drop it that far i mean y- you made a few points there ethan about um uh you know the, the female characters and in, in their in their role in this and also the the lawyer stuff. But I think Mike's point is good too. Like this guy had to have something to lose, right? He had to be in a relationship and he had to have a really, uh, you know, a career that was going to, if it crashed and burned was going to mean something to the, um, the viewers, you know, if he were that uh, delivery truck driver the whole time and he goes into a poker and he's going to, you know, lose his career over it. No one's going to think twice about that because, you know, go get another delivery job. Mm -hmm. But like flunking out of law school because you have this um, either ego about yourself with poker or this addiction or this talent, whatever, however you want to look at it. um, He was willing to put all of that on the line, um, including a very solid relationship from a woman that was going to keep him on the on the straight and narrow, you know, like if she were, if he were dating Famke Jansen and she didn't give a crap about if he was spending that money or not, then what's he have to risk, you know? Um, and then to show the friendship level of that, of what he's willing to go through for this guy out of loyalty, um, and being the only person for him, like, I, I guess I, I have a hard time seeing, where the nitpicks are part of why I put it at 91 is because, you know, that's where you factor in the poker. Um, that's where you factor in a couple of the flaws, but to, to drop it that far, I guess I just don't see what's wrong with this movie, um, to give it that low of a grade. If it, if it had come in at low eighties, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna complain. I I understand. But what was it? Mid, mid sixties. Um, 64. Yeah, 64 yeah that just i don't know it just doesn't seem fair there's i guess i haven't heard enough of an argument one way or the other to drop it that far um i understand i overrate it in my rankings because of you know age and in timing but I, I do think it's unfair to drop it that far um simply because of the poker stuff so i don't know if there's other things we haven't talked about of what we're missing but um Yeah, uh, I guess guess what else you have, Ethan, to kind of justify what those critics say, or have you read anything else that shows why the number's that low? Uh, I mean, just the consensus
0: is a positive one. Um, It just says richly atmospheric and colorful performances contribute to the movie's entertainment value. I I don't think that... And we kind of get... I think we get tripped up sometimes because we do so many movies on this podcast that end up in the 90s you, you get you once you clear 85 percent, you're talking about a movie that's probably contending for an academy award right like in its in its genre and really how many sports movies have we done that have gotten up in the 90s if we want to call this a sport i mean it's it's as close as it's going to get that's the closest subgenre we can probably throw it into, right, is some kind of sport. Maybe Miracle was that high, and I don't even know if it was, and that movie's always going to be rated high because it's based on one of the greatest American sporting events of all time, and people are just going to be biased to it. Like, I don't take this movie being at a 64% as any of the critics saying, F this movie, that was a waste of my time. Like, I, I take it as a lot of people... Walked out a lot of critics, walked out of the theater at the time and went, Yeah, I like that Matt Damon guy, good kid, good people, you know. Like, so just straight up comparing it to other card movies, it's better than 21 or you know, any of the other ones. Like, sure, I'd watch it again over those, but movies that are maybe influenced by poker, I think I'd pick Ocean's Eleven 10 times out of 10 to watch over this. Because I saw Ocean's Eleven when I was 10 years old, and I thought all those guys were the coolest guys ever. Right? Like, it just depends on... That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying you guys are wrong. Absolutely. Like, I hear everything you guys are saying. But based on the time that I saw this versus the time that I saw other movies that are kind of touching the same subgenre, there's just ones that I pick more. And I wouldn't rate this thing rotten by any means. And I bet it'll probably end up higher on the list than Gladiator will... (laughs) for me uh but it's just i'm just never going to be able to have the connection that you guys have with it because i saw it when i was 22 so far after it came out and so far after i'd seen other movies kind of in the sub sub genre that i just have a lifelong connection
1: to i see one of the points you're making there though should justify that number being higher because if you take every poker movie and put it out there and you're saying arguably this is the best one ever like is that just saying automatically that poker movies suck like or are going to suck because like if you take it and say you know you take any category or any uh, you know major point of a plot and group them together and say this is the best one i mean i guess that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a quality movie but like if every other poker movie is going to come in at less than a 64 um, which they probably haven't, there's probably some ranked higher on a rotten tomato scale. Um, I just think it's an unfair critique of this movie simply because it was the first one of its kind and earlier, if, if anything, that's more of a challenge to make this a good entertaining movie because, you know, as Mike said, if this had come out five years later, it's skyrocketing and, you know, doing very, very well in the box office. So to to take that challenge and say, hey, we're going to be the first and we're going to do it this way and we're going to pull back the curtain on this world that a lot of people don't understand, um, you know, I, I think kudos to them and I think automatically should get them a higher number. But um, I know we spent a lot of time and Rotten Tomato score doesn't really mean anything. I think the fans there are much better more in line with where it should be at that 87 um so good job fans and uh you know let's petition these rotten tomatoes folks to get that number a little higher
0: i mean i i will say just on the basis of what that score means
1: because remember that's not
0: that's not saying that a majority of critics rate this as a 6.4 out of 10 Mm -hmm. that is 64 critics walked out of the theater and said yep you would enjoy seeing it i would have been one of those 64 Like that, you know, like that just, and I know we do end up kind of leaning into like, should it be higher? Should it not? Should more people have liked it? Yes. No, whatever. Like, again, I think the fact that 36, you guys are making me do math live on air. The fact that 36 people walked out and said, nah, not for me, I think absolutely leans into it's 1998. People wanted to see Matt Damon in in something like Goodwill Hunting Mm. and probably didn't like poker. Like I can see how 36 people, you know, would go that way.
1: It is sort of like Goodwill hunting. I mean, he's doing a shit ton of math and configurations in his head there, but, uh, I I get it. I'm just gonna, I'm going to fall on my sword for that score.
2: Well, I'll just Mm -hmm. leave you with this as we move on and wrap uh, up some of the other areas we like to look at, because that was a longer discussion, but I think it was a worthy one. I agree with you, Brad, the, the, um, critics probably off a little bit the the fan score probably better but i think we can all agree that in terms of like being able to build his brand matt damon probably would have amounted to to more had he carried his his line from goodwill hunting over to this one and when he beat teddy kgb had said uh teddy i just want to know in russia do you like apples how do you like them apples and showed the hand so
0: that would have gotten me to rank it a few spots higher um speaking of matt damon He's the star of this. We've talked a lot about him on this podcast before. Um, You know, we've done Goodwill Hunting, we did The Departed. Uh, So he's come up a a few times. In terms of this, I I mean, I think the thing I did enjoy the most was seeing that younger Matt Damon and then being able to just kind of go through the IMDb and reflect on kind of what he is and what he's done because we're now getting to the point in his career where he's fully transitioned from like necessarily being a, you know, good looking, smooth, suave guy, which he does great. I mean, he he was a great leading man in his twenties and thirties and good looking dude going to do all that. But now we get into stuff and I don't know if you guys have seen either of these, but you know, just in this past year, he did Stillwater and the last duel which just dramatic powerhouse, even Ford versus Ferrari. Like he is just a very dramatic. It's not about his looks. It's not about necessarily even his star power. It's just about being a dramatic actor. He's one of the best. And I almost wonder if his just true pound for pound acting ability sometimes gets underrated because we just kind of think of, oh, it's Matt Damon. Like he is truly, I believe one of the best actors working today
2: yeah i don't think you're going to have a hard sell uh, sell on that on either of us um I, I don't suspect you know i would love to say that he is he is the best actor of his generation as much as i would like to make that argument i think it's hard to um put him head and shoulders like above leonardo dicaprio but i think matt damon Deserves to be in that conversation more than he is in the general public. Uh, I think that most people would just go right to Leo and say, "Oh, it's over." Uh, and I'm I'm not totally sure. I I absolutely adore Matt Damon. I think that he is an exceptional actor. I have for years. I have not seen some of his newer stuff. I need to make time for it. Um, but everything I have seen him in, by and large, um, I have I've enjoyed. Loved him in The Martian. Loved his his bit role in Interstellar. Uh, The the list goes on and on. But when you look at his IMDb, it is an incredibly impressive list, and uh, you know, poised, God willing, to only grow through the years as he continues to uh, grow in his career.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I'll use Ethan your your lead in to kind of get into my part too. Watching this, I realized that I really like Matt Damon as an actor. I think I'm over time, just kind of liking him less and less though. I don't know what it is um, about this movie in particular, watching it um, that brought that up. I think honestly um, where it turned for me was when we watched Interstellar and he had that, that small role and he was, you know, there was something about that role that just like kind of soured me on him not because of his acting, but because of he acted it so well that like I correlated Matt Damon with the person that would do this to them. And, and you know, he's trying to leave them on. Was it a planet or a yeah some sort of asteroid or something? I don't know what, what they were on when he was trying to leave them. But like I started noticing some things. And as he's gotten older, I think he's he's one of those that's so good and. Uh, You know, all of these movies that he he does um, year in and year out are just top notch that like you start to nitpick some of the things and it starts to become a negative. One of the people that I'm thinking of that that's to me never happened to is Tom Hanks. Um, But I think because of who he is and because of his personality, I've not ever made that turn with him. But I think with a lot of people, when you're so good for so long, they start to turn a little bit. And I started to feel that recently over the last couple of years with Matt Damon, uh, to where, um, not knocking his ability at all, but I think he, for me is just not the draw that he once was, um, outside of, you know, Goodwill hunting, but, uh, I, I think he does a phenomenal job. It's just, he's not going to be the name that gets me to, to take my wallet out and say, Hey, I have to go see him in the theater. Um. Like, like some of these other stars do. Uh, but every time I see him, I, I'm blown away by, by his ability.
2: So your, your thesis there, just so I make sure, cause you, I thought you were zigging right. And then all of a sudden you swung back left. Your thesis is he's so good that he's he's like too good. And so you nitpick and then you don't really want to see him. But then when you do, you're impressed.
1: Yeah. I I'm going to, I'm going to equate it to Steph Curry. Um, if, if you tell me, you know, Hey, you you can go watch a basketball player. I'm probably not going to pick Steph Curry because he's not going to blow you away when you see his physical presence, when you see some of the skills and things like that. But the guy's so good that you end up respecting the game. He's going to be one of the best, but like, I would have a hard time if someone said to me, uh, Steph Curry should be ranked up there with Michael Jordan or LeBron James or, Tim Duncan, or you know whoever else you might put in your top five of the last thirty years, but by and large, the guy year in and year out is is amazing. You respect what he does, but there's just nothing about him that to me that says, yes, he's the one that I want to go put my money down on and go watch, but you know I, I'll use the the Celtics run in the playoffs this year, you know they get through um Kevin Durant in the Nets. They get through Giannis in the Bucks. They get through a very good Miami Heat team and they're rolling, 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 and then all of a sudden they get up against this guy that's just so good. You know, you can't you can't really um knock him off of his game. And I, I think they're very similar in that way that like no matter what, Matt Damon's movie is going to be good. But he's not the guy that is Uh, if you're using the basketball analogy, he's not going to put fear in me to think like, oh, we can't beat this guy. But then at the end of the game, he beat you. You know, it's, I I think it's something similar to that, to where I just, I want to not like him um, for some reason. And I I can't even really put my finger on what it is, but every time I watch him, I enjoy him. Um, So overall, this is a compliment, but, saying it in a way that like the career longevity and the things that he's doing and some of the, um, you know, how how his acting has changed as he's aging makes me want to not like him, but I can't knock the performance in, in, you know, despite that. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but
2: yeah. So for those of you who are listening at home, Matt Damon is too good. And so Brad wants to quit him, but he just can't quit him.
1: Yeah, how how you like them apples?
0: I, I mean, I think something else that's impressive, like we just had this whole conversation, and it seemed pretty targeted towards just his like dramatic acting ability, and we didn't even get into the fact that, and you, and I even forget this, like Matt Damon is also a very physical action star too. I mean, those Jason Bourne movies are some of the greatest action movies of my lifetime, and they are led by him being an incredibly physical presence. So, like, that's what to me, that's what will always keep him like on a Mount Rushmore of actors that have been around in my life. He checks a ton of boxes. He can be hilarious. He can go at least get nominated for Academy Award. He hasn't won one yet. And he can also be a full-blown physical action star. Um, And that's not something a lot of people have, uh, believably at least, uh, across all facets. Um, We've had some good conversations. Kind of running us a little long here. So I think Unless you guys have some wild objection,
2: I'm going to push us into favorite scenes. So for me, I, there's a lot of memorable scenes here. Uh, some great dialogue uh, between characters. Um, and I, I shouldn't have gone first because I want to like reference a couple. But in risk of referencing one of yours, um, I'm going to go with one that is maybe more off of the beaten path. I'm going to go with uh, Matt Damon's character, uh, Mike McDee having the drink with his professor. Um, when he is going to, you know, get the loan and just the incredible dialogue there, the incredible discussion about life, right? This, this kid who is heading on a path towards law school and towards being a lawyer and is clearly capable of doing that, but that's not where his heart's at. Um, and I just think it's a, an exceptionally well done scene, um, great acting on both sides and it that scene in in the hole is what i love about this movie well written well acted and very memorable.
1: Brad, you or me, Ethan. Go for it. All right. Uh i mean for me it, it just always comes back to when he goes back in and takes down KGB um and he notices the tell with the oreo and um you know, you get the check 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 all night long and pay the man his money, you know, like um it's just, yeah, it's just great stuff. Um, so yeah, to me, that's always the best scene. And for some reason that got a smirk out of Mike, I don't know if it was my crappy accent or what, but
2: I just want to point out, we made it to about 40 minutes in the podcast, uh, roughly before one of us tried our bad Teddy KGB Russian accent and it was Brad. So if you had Brad on your uh, bingo card for that, go ahead and mark it down.
1: Well, isn't the whole point because he's already doing a bad Russian accent? (laughs) That's
2: that's exactly right. The funny thing is, your terrible Russian accent was like 95% of the way to Malkovich. So it was actually quite quite good in this context.
1: Thank you. Uh, Well, Brad,
0: that's why I wanted you to go first, because I figured that you would pick that. Um, It is also mine, but I wanted to give you the chance to talk about it. I, I, I mean, it's the most iconic scene from this movie to me. I think it is the best one. Uh, and probably because it's Malkovich, uh, why it takes cake for me. Any lines, guys, that you want to throw out there before we close out this episode?
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. I've, I've got <laughs> the script. I've got the script pulled up here. So if you're listening at home, just uh, go ahead and, and uh, stretch. Here we go. Um, no, before I give the line, I will say the scene with Malkovich is the no-brainer, and the reason I went with the other one is to give us a little diversity there, yeah. so it wasn't a clean sweep. Uh, But I agree with that. And for me, the the line is it starts, you know, at the beginning with this idea of uh, or after he has the bad beat that he then later says wasn't a bad beat. You know, you can't lose what you don't put in the middle. And for me, the line of the movie comes in that scene after he has beat Malkovich. He's gotten his money back. He's standing up to lead. Uh, Teddy tells him it's okay. You know, I pays him with his money. Uh, And then he says, you know, yeah, you can't lose Uh, You know, you you can't lose what you don't put in the middle, but you can't win much either. And he turns around and comes in and says, yeah, chips, let's go card, shuffle it up. And I think, uh, again, for a movie with great lines, that's one that uh, that has resonated with me in life because it is very true. Right. Like we all can play it safe. But if we play it safe in life, we're not likely to succeed. We're not likely to experience happiness and joy to the degree that we want. And so, yeah, going for that sometimes means you're gonna you're gonna get busted out in the game of life um but if you play it too cautious, you can't win much either so that's my favorite line
1: yeah, mine is uh um a little more simple, and the reason I'm picking this one is because uh as I was watching, it was one that got me to uh uh chuckle out loud, and you just kind of caught my attention, so I'm gonna go with uh uh, it's Worm and Mike, and and Worm says, "I guess the saying's true." In the in the poker game of life, women are the rake man. They're the fucking rake. And then he goes, and Mike goes, "What the fuck are you talking about?" And he goes, "I don't know, but there ought to be one though." Um, so, what's uh, what's so funny?
2: No, it's it's a good line. Uh, it's a, it's another good line, and I love the way he's like, "That's not a saying," and he's like, "Well, it should be."
1: Yeah, what are you what are you talking about? What's saying? I don't know. There ought to be one though. Um, yeah, that one uh, that one got me, so I wanted to highlight it.
0: I I also went the humorous route. Uh, I thought uh, once Brad said it, it was something that made him laugh. I didn't know if he was going to take mine, uh, but it's <clears throat> uh, Mike going to see John Turturro. He says I need fifteen thousand dollars. Says fifteen. Yep. I need a blowjob from Christy Turlington. Get the fuck out of here. $15,000? <laughs> I think if if someone says that that's not the funniest line in this movie, they're lying because they don't want to admit how hilarious that is. And there's a reason that John Turturro has been around for a long time, and it's that line right there. Because he can do that and make it perfect, which he did. That was my favorite part of the entire movie. I couldn't just pick that as the best scene, but that that had me doubled over in tears thank you mr toturo uh and i think that'll do it guys um that is our conversation of rounders uh we're doing a little audible next week which i guess nobody even knows that we did an audible we won't even discuss right now what we had picked out for next week because it's awful uh but we don't want to just throw movies no, under the bus.
2: it's that's not, not awful. fair it definitely was not as as engaging for late night watching as what we are going to do, but it was not awful.
0: All right. Let me tell everyone right now, if someone ever says like, hey, let's throw on Last of the Mohicans, <laughs> go ahead and take a half hour, 45 minute nap. You'll be on the same page that I was for that entire movie, and you will be thinking that you did miss something. You didn't. Anyways, we're doing you guys a favor. We're not asking you to watch that. We're not reviewing that. We all watched it. We are instead pulling the Audible. It was Brad's Audible. We are going to be talking about This Is Where I Leave You, uh, the Jason Bateman kind of dark dramedy. Uh, I guess different way that you want to go with that. But a uh, bit of a change for us, but we're going to do that next week. Uh, so watch that and join us then. This was Rounders. Thank you so much for supporting the show. And other than that, guys, for Mike, for Brad, I'm Ethan, and we'll see you next time.